Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Mindel Cohen. Mindel is the Yiddish Book Center's academic director and the editor of the 2021 Pockentrager digital translation issue, Yiddish in Nature. Welcome, Mindel. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, I guess I could tell more about your background, which is quite extensive and quite impressive. But if it's okay with you, we'll cut to the chase. We can just focus on this wonderful issue. Yes. Excellent. So um, nature is as a theme isn't something that I think all of us think of when we think of Yiddish literature. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about um, what you expected when you put out the call for submissions. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the reasons that this theme felt exciting is that not only do people probably not think of Yiddish and nature together, you might really think of a kind of antipathy between Yiddish culture or traditional Ashkenazi Jewish culture and nature, that there, you know, we have a real sense of Ashkenazi culture and Yiddish as being kind of urban cultures. So there's almost like a, you know, a contradiction set up or a contrast set up between nature and what we might think of with Yiddish culture. And that was one of the reasons this theme was exciting. And I would say I, I was drawn to it because um, I know from my own research that in fact, there really is a huge amount of engagement with nature, meaning a lot of different things in different Yiddish literature, say in Yiddish modernist literature, which is something that I've studied and written about. There's a lot of interesting engagement with nature. And also from time that I've gotten to spend traveling in Eastern Europe, where I was looking for pieces of Yiddish literature that engaged with specific towns and cities and landscapes, I had come across some of this writing, not a lot of it maybe that's available in translation. So those were two things that made this seem like an interesting theme to choose for for our um, translation issue this year. And I do think we've started you know, together over the last few years, trying to think about this issue as a place that we can draw out unexpected aspects of Yiddish literature to share with people and to give translators an occasion to share interesting works of literature that they are finding that might feel a little bit out of the box of of what people imagine when they think about Yiddish literature. Which is, I think, always... um... Uh, a fun and a little bit of a scary proposition as you put out the call for submissions because you never know if there's right. a lot out there. And yet what you've what you found this year and the year before, et cetera, is always just this like incredible surprise um, what you put together. Um, yeah, it, it has to be. It's one of the reasons that this project is really a fun, rewarding project is, as you say, we just put the call out, you know, we ask people, what have you got on this topic? And it's so exciting to see what people send back. And that really shapes the issue. You know, we, we suggest this broad theme, but it's based on what the translators have found that then, you know, different themes come out together and different topics come into focus. And I was struck by the ways that nature sort of inspired or weaves its way through these different works, the poems and the stories, et cetera. And it seems to me, and as a reader, when going through the issue, 
that many of the writers um, had sort of rural or pastoral childhood years that figure mm-hmm. into the work. And they kind of use, if I may use the word, the beauty of nature or some aspect of it as a contrast to stark realities of their life. Um, and, and if I can use an example, it would be mm-hmm. um, Rachel Korn's poem, um, the end, I would have driven away the spring and summer, robbed the autumn of its gold, so that perhaps my mother, my brother, my people would have heeded my warning. And that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that's a wonderful translation done by Miriam Isaacs of Rachel Korn's poem, The Owl. And yeah, I think you've described a few of the interesting themes that come out. One is writers who describe um, the nature of their childhoods, as you said, the landscapes that they grew up in. And some of those are presented in the issue in a, you know, almost idealized or romantic way. So there are interesting pieces um, by Sholem Ash called A Winter in the Shtetl that describes the changing seasons in his home shtetl. And similarly, the piece by Peretz Hirschbein describes a childhood growing up near a mill along a river. But then you're right that um, this poem is part of another kind of group that came up in the issue where writers engage with nature in order to explore some of the real traumas that they've experienced in their life. And I think this is one of the more powerful examples. Um, but also the, there's a poem by Bela Schechter Gottesmann, Yes, the Yonder, about remembering a kind of nostalgic remembering of her hometown, which has some of that same pain as, as comes out in this poem by, um, by Rachel Korn. Another one, Mendel, that caught me um, in terms of the, the strength of the piece is Shira Gorshman's Covered by Cobwebs. Mm-hmm. And in the introduction, and these introductions are really great because they introduce me not only to the writer, but the context, um, because some of these pieces are really sort of other than what we would expect from these writers. Mm-hmm. And, and as it says in the introduction, this piece, unlike much of Gorshman's work, was probably not inspired by direct experience. Like most of her peers, she was consumed with anger and grief about her native town's destruction and the murder of her extended family during the Holocaust. But the exact time period of this vignette is ambiguous. Talk a little bit about this in terms of what the reader can take away. And, and, and also, I'd be curious to hear your perspective as the editor, as, as you began to put these together and see them as interconnected in some ways. Yeah, this is a really interesting piece. So as you said, it's by Shira Gorshman called Covered by Cobwebs and the translator is Beth Dwoskin. Shira Gorshman is a later Soviet Yiddish writer. And yeah, this story, I remember when we read it, one of our we were talking about whether it really fits, you know, is this a piece about nature? And that was a a question we kind of asked with each of our submissions is, you know, just because there was some description of landscape in a piece, we wanted pieces that were engaging with nature in an important way, right? That nature played an important role in the piece. And this was probably one of the ones that was most out there, but in the end, as you said, it's a really captivating story. It's a bit of a haunting story. Um, And we felt that it was doing something different with nature from many of the other pieces. So 
people can read it and enjoy it. It's, it's not very long, but in general, it's about a young woman who is the survivor of com- some kind of trauma uh, to her community. And she's spending the summer in an abandoned mill and near a mill pond. Um, and it is unclear, you know, what the, what the catastrophe might have been or what the violence might have been. And she's in this setting that feels a bit timeless in part because of the emphasis on the natural landscape around her. And I think that's quite interesting. And it, it probably says something about the patterns of, of violence that Jews in Eastern Europe experienced that it might be hard to tell the difference between a depiction of a pogrom that might have occurred in the aftermath of World War One, or the destruction of a town during World War Two. that unfortunately there were cycles of violence that people grew up and experienced. So that might be one of the kind of powerful messages that comes out of this piece specifically. And yes, isn't something that you would naturally expect to find as the, the message of a of a short story in an issue about nature, but it um, it works in a powerful way. And the other thing that I began to see was the sense of place, that deeply rooted memory for so many of these writers and the way that they used that either as metaphor or in some way a literary device that they could draw from and re- and. It, it just, it finds its way into these pieces in such different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved, I mean, you know, the literature in ways that I don't. And so I was wondering what you thought about that as well, as you were looking through these. Yeah, this is one of the things that I really love in Yiddish literature and that I've focused in my research and teaching on is that because we can't travel today to the spaces of Yiddish land, you know, because of the great interruptions and catastrophes that have occurred to Ashkenazi Jewish culture and to Yiddish culture, we can't visit these places and we can't see them, you know, bursting with the Jewish life that would have been there earlier. But we have so much literature that can give us windows into, you know, what what life was like in big cities in small towns in Shtetlach and also in rural places. So it's a way of traveling to those places when we read this literature that, as you say, gives us this deep sense of place and helps us understand that, you know, many Jews and many of these Yiddish writers felt deep, meaningful connections um, to the places that they had grown up and probably felt those connections all the more poignantly in that so many writers in the 20th century did not get to live out their whole lives in the place where they were born or could not return to them afterwards. So they, they find it meaningful um, to share these memoiristic descriptions of the places where they grew up. And it becomes one of the few ways that we today can access what, what their lives would have been like in a in a broad sense. And it's interesting you mentioned memoir because that was one of the things that that dawned on me is um, you know like the Parrots Hirschbein is mm-hmm. a memoir. Um, and yet it's the trajectory for him to tell a story by opening 
in something that's so infused with that presence of nature in his life. And it, it seems like at the core of what he, he longs to kind of return to in the telling of his story. Right. Yeah. The, this is wonderful because we do know that Hirschbein, Hirschbein was a traveler, right? He, he and his wife, Esther Schumacher Hirschbein, who we also have a piece by her in the issue as well, which felt very special. They kind of traveled the world together and um, wrote about many different places that they spent time in. And I think we get a sense from this memoir where Hirschbein describes his rural childhood that he had a love for place and for landscape from a very early age. He had an eye for, for nature and for the ecosystems that he was living in. And that helps us understand his interest later in life in traveling and in seeing a wide variety of places and then describing those places in his literature. So I agree, it's really fun to get to see um, just how much he care, you know, the detail that he remembered and how much care he pays toward uh, reimagining and kind of recreating this rural childhood for his readers with the same level of detail that he might describe a tra travels through China later in his life. And, and then I would contrast it a little bit with um, Moisha Kolbeck, um, mm -hmm. that poem, because my only exposure to his work was in reading the Zelman Yonners. And I think of this like totally congested apartment courtyard where everything takes place. And yet right. he, he, he takes us to a wholly different place. And again, I, what's interesting for me to try to consider as a reader is what, what it is they're turning to when they use nature, either as a metaphor or a springboard, um, because mm -hmm. it's not common to most of their work. Is that safe to say? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think this, mm -hmm. the Kulbach poem is a great example because it's, it's a group, it's one of a group of pieces in the issue that are written by modernist poets. So people may be familiar with Avram Sutzgiver. He's another very well-known poet, of course, and a modernist, really experimental in his writing. Um, but nature was a very common theme for him. And Kulbach was really interested in nature as well. He has some long, long poems dedicated to rural life in Northwestern Belarus. He writes about a family of loggers, <laughs> essentially. And he has a long poem about the city of Vilna. So that's about an urban space, but it's still really interested in understanding space and urban landscape, just like in his novel that you mentioned, The Zelman Yoner, is so much about, you know, creating the space of the courtyard where this family lives. And there are a few other poems in this issue by, by modernist writers, especially um, Peretz Markish poem, Hatter Dag, that's translated by Jordan Finken here that describes a big rocky mountain <laughs> in the Crimean Peninsula. So I think we can see a bit of a trend of Yiddish literature in those poems where these modernist experimental writers in the teens and twenties were interested in turning to nature as an object that they could 
play with and present in experimental and challenging ways in their Yiddish writing. So this poem by Kulbach in A Forest of Fur, I think falls in that category that in some ways it's a simple subject, right? It's just a depiction of a bit of a forest scene, but in the sound play and even the way the poem looks on the page, you can see that it's, um, that it's quite experimental. And that, that is a trend that goes through Yiddish literature that I think this issue helps show us some more examples of. And so last question for you, um, I'm always eager to ask somebody about the process. So from when you set out to get submissions related to nature and when you saw it all come together, and I know you worked on this also um, with Abby Weaver and Leslie Yalen, um, what about this kind of surprised you or revealed itself in a way that you hadn't expected when you curated the edition? Yeah, it's always surprising. Like I said, because we, the fun thing about this is that we just get to put out the call and then it's a wonderful way to see what people are working on at the moment, to see what people are reading and translating and People might be writing papers about some of these works that they send into us. So you get a great cross-section in a sense of, of what's being read in the in Yiddish literary circles today and by people who enjoy translating them into English. One thing that surprises me as I was looking back over the issue is how many really kind of top-rung Yiddish writers are represented in the issue this year that for any of our listeners who have done some reading of Yiddish literature and translation, there are many familiar names here. Mendel Amotchers Forim, Itzik Manger, Sholem Ash, Rachel Korn, Melch Ravitch, Avram Sutzgever, Derenister, uh, other people, Malka Lee that we've mentioned. These are all really some of the really well-known writers, in addition to a few lesser-known writers that have been surfaced. And I think that's interesting because I think that's not always the case with our translation issues. We're often excited that we get writers we maybe we haven't even heard of that people send in. And that's wonderful to learn about new writers and new writing. But this felt special to me because it suggested that nature really is important to um, a big group of Yiddish writers and to some of these most talented, um, most prolific writers in the literature that nature was something that they turned to and that they embraced. So that's exciting to me that it, if we do have a sense that Yiddish and nature are, are kind of opposed in some way, that seeing all of these wonderful writers who turn to nature in their work for important reasons can help challenge that idea and help us see that in fact there, there was a lot of um, interest in nature, there was engagement with the natural world in ways that are going to feel relevant to our readers today, I hope. I, I have to say, when I was looking through it on the table of contents, yes, I was struck by all of the names that were really familiar to me. And it, it made the case that one of the things I think that must be really exciting about putting together this annual collection is the chance to sort of privilege work by these writers um, together and it's work mm -hmm. that we're not maybe not familiar with or or a type of writing that they've done anyway it, it's it's a totally 
it's a terrible word to use, but it's, it's like completely cool. Um, <laughs> I just, I think it's yeah. really, really great to see it all together. Yeah, and it does, I think, like you're saying, it draws out, it sh- maybe shows us a different side of some of these writers that even if we think we we know them, you know, from other anthologies that we've read or for people who read Yiddish and know some of the work, by bringing together these anthologies, you get to see these themes emerge that maybe you would never have thought of, I'm not sure who I'm looking at my lip, you know, maybe you never would have thought of Mendela as a nature writer, but the wonderful first piece in the issue shows that in fact, a love of nature is at the center of the character Mendel Moichers forum that because he loves nature is the reason he becomes a book peddler and wants to travel around so that he has some time (laughs) to look at the trees and the birds. So I think you're right, by bringing these writers together, we get to see them in a different light and see different sides of their writing. It's funny um, that you mentioned that piece because when I was putting together my questions for you, I kind of um, was drawn to, and I will throw it in there now, gentlemen, I confess I've had a weakness since childhood. I wouldn't wish it on any Jew, which in their language is called love of nature. Um, And it goes on and it, it was so surprising, so wonderful. And in a way, it gave me a way to connect with him in a way that was different than anything before. Anyway, mm-hmm. so um, hats off to you and your co-editors. Um, it's a really wonderful collection. And each year I think, oh, you can't top it, but you do. Um, so thank you. Thank you. And let's tell our listeners how they can either read this on our website or um, get it as an ebook as it comes out fairly soon. So it's available at yiddishbookcenter.org in Pockentrager uh, section of the website. And also you will find their links as they get posted, correct, Mindel, that will lead to ebook editions. Yes. Yeah, so right now you can read the whole issue online on our website. And very soon there will be links so that you could read it on any kind of ebook that you possess as well. So take it out in nature and get inspired. Um, yes. You can read it on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. Um, Mindel, thanks much for taking time uh, today. I know you just finished uh, another translation fellowship workshop and are on to many other things. And you are going to be presenting a public program about the issue. Yes. yes. So if people would like more of a taste of the issue, we'll have a public program and What's really fun about that is that we'll have a few of the translators reading short works from the issue. So it's also a chance to get a sense of the translators who have made all these works accessible to us. Excellent. Um, And that is Thursday, August the 5th at 7 p.m. And you'll find more information about that. And you can register for that program uh, on our website, yiddishbookcenter.org slash events. So find your way to all of this. And thanks again, Mendel. Take care. Thank you. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.